The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. I'm Kim Commando, America's Digital Goddess, and you're listening to the Secrets of Technology podcast. Enjoy. You're listening to the Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Father Andrew Kinstetter. Hi, Father Andrew. Hello there. And Joanne Mercer. Hello, Joanne. Hi, Dom. Uh, And Happy New Year. Ah, yes. Happy New Year. Yep. It is our first episode of the New Year, and so we're glad to uh, be here and join you all. Before we get started, I want to tell you about another show on the network that you're sure to enjoy. And this, this comes up uh, by coincidence, Father Andrew, but uh, it is appropriate <laughs> that I'm going to tell you about the secrets of Star Wars, which Father Andrew is the host of, and uh, also appropriate for my pick of the week, by the way. This is entirely mm-hmm. coincidental, but we'll get to that. But uh, the secrets of Star Wars, where Father Andrew and our, ca- our band of Merry Star Wars fans get together and talk about all things Star Wars, including right now the Book of Boba Fett, which I haven't seen the second episode yet, so no spoilers, but <laughs> so excited to, to get the Book of Boba Fett and all things Star Wars. So check it out at sqpn.com slash Star Wars or wherever fine podcasts are found, which uh, Jimmy Aiken asked me, where are fine podcasts found? And so I've said, you know, <laughs> things like Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts <laughs> and those places, so... Uh, check it out. So let's get into talking about our topics this week. And I, this is uh, also another coincidence, uh, Father Andrew. But uh, <laughs> I think this this topic, this first segment is something that you and I are, are particularly interested in. But yes. I want to hear Joanne's perspective, too. So uh, someone sent me a link to a YouTube video from a guy who's a uh, Disney World fan. And the, the video asked the question, can Disney World survive the metaverse? And... So the, the the question is is an interesting one because Zuckerberg and the other and other people are promoting this idea of the new the metaverse Ready Player One if you will where we will wear video uh, re- virtual reality goggles or augmented reality goggles and experience uh, all kinds of fun and interesting life experiences virtually as opposed to real and he poses this question because if Disney World can survive which is of course a bit of a you know a clickbaity headline but the question is is if you can do this stuff virtually will there still be two things will there be demand for real life experiences like going to theme parks which are which is expensive air flights and hotels and all the rest when you can get a really good experience in a headset and on the other side will companies like disney say it's too expensive to spend billions of dollars to build a theme park when we can do it virtually and have everybody come to to it. And so the question is it you know will let's assume I just want to make an assumption here to to start with. Let's assume that VR becomes really good so that we what we see is near reality, okay? I'm not going to assume that we'll have VR suits where we can f- interact physically with things like a holodeck, but let's assume that visually it will be near reality. Do you, so a two questions a do you think people will start to prefer the virtual and augmented versions of these things and b do you think 
that even if people don't prefer it, do you think that there will still be a push toward that and we will have fewer of these things? And, well, and, and of course, the third question is, is what do we lose if we prefer the augmented and virtual over the real? Uh, and I think we have a very Catholic perspective on that, uh, per se. Father Andrew, I'm going to let you go first because yep. I know this is particularly <laughs> interesting to you. Well, and it's and it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm going to respond in the typical Catholic fashion here. Both okay. and I think is going to be the <laughs> the the prevailing kind of wins here. Uh, I think that there will be a push to to virtual sort of experiences like that. And I mean, they're, they're sort of already kind of existing somewhat. You can meet up with people and like the Oculus quest and interact and, and definitely that would appeal to people who don't have the money to, to, you know, go to Disney world or, or do those sorts of things or who maybe, um, have the money, but aren't willing to invest in that and just want to kind of see what it's all about. You know, I, I think that there's definitely a, a huge, uh, market for that, but I don't think it can ever replace and, um, make the actual physical real experience kind of uh, go away. And, and I think Disney is going to continue to, to put money into building parks. And, and, I, and we, we even see that now they're still building more parks, you know, whether it's Disney mm -hmm. or um, Universal or, you know, the, the different theme parks. And my, my take on it definitely is um, uh, that we, we, as much as we have this push towards virtual and technology, it will never replace a real experience. And, and I kind of mm -hmm. go back to, Again, a Catholic perspective of, of we are uh, what a seminary professor would say is we are incarnational. So mm -hmm. we are bodies. We are body and soul. And so there's something about the physicality of being a body that we need to relate and we need to experience. And in fact, that's why the sacraments always have some sort of physicality to it. Baptism, there's water. Confirmation, there's oil. You know, and Eucharist is is we're actually receiving the, the body of Christ in the form of, of uh, the Eucharist. And there's something physical about that because God knows and created us to experience and to encounter and to learn and to um, live in in a body. So the virtual world, as cool as it is, can never fully replicate a real bodily encounter with, you know, the world and with other people. Um, and so I and of course, I've experienced Disney World. There's something there's something phenomenal about physically being in this place, um, the, the sights, the smells. Um, one thing that you wouldn't be able to do virtually, even if it was Ready Player One or even if it was more than Ready Player One. What about the food? Like, you know, like there, yep. there's experiences there that you just can't replicate, even if you sort of have a, a pseudo replication of that. Um, the other thing that I thought about was back in March, uh, we actually took my uh, two-year-old goddaughter to Disney World. And how would you help a toddler navigate a virtual world like that? We can, mm -hmm. we can easily kind of take a toddler and show them and they can be just as excited in a, in a real world encounter. But a virtual world would be much, much harder for a toddler to experience. So there would be less kind of family interactions in that way unless they were older. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think they're ever going to go away and I hope that they don't ever go away. You know, they're, yeah. I, yeah, there, there, there's something physical that, that you can't ever fully replace. I want to, I want to re reinforce and emphasize something. You said that like, there's a, there's a tendency among a lot of people to think that we are 
minds inhabiting bodies. Mm-hmm. Like we have a body machine that our mind pilots. Yep. But that is that is not what we are. We are we are we are our body yep. and our mind. Like with it's it's together, and our body is not something separate from us. Which <clears throat> a, a duality. I think that it infuses a lot of the, of the problems that in our society right now. Frankly, where we uh, that's a whole nother topic and <laughs> not and not the show but the uh yeah so we are our body and i think that even if we had holodecks if we had star trek holodecks mm-hmm. i think there's still something which is as real as you know science fiction has made this sort of virtual stuff i think there's still something in our mind that would say but it's not real right like there's mm-hmm. still no matter how real it feels it's not real yep there, there, there's something that would yeah our the back of a mind would say this this is fake and and we would yeah. know that it's fake. And and sure, we go to Disney World and we know that it's fake too. I mean, essentially, you know. Yeah. But but there's still there's a real experience there that that is that is definitely real. And especially if you go as a family or if you go with friends or even if you go by yourself, mm-hmm. you know, I I was interacting with with cast members, um, you know, and sure they're they're play acting, but it's it's real and it's it's fun, you know, and there's yep. something really really good about that. Um, you know, and I, I wanted to also make a point, this is analogous, but, um, I remember when eBooks became really big and there was like this sort of fear that what about physical books? Would they go away? And they haven't, you know? And, and again, one of my seminary professors would say books are incarnational. And like, so there's a reason why I have a Dom, I can see your library behind you, you know, (laughs) like, even though we have this push towards, uh, towards the virtual, um, and it's convenient and it works. There's still something that can't we can't quite replace in the the real and the physical. I get more to say in that. But, Joanne, I want to give you a chance to, to say that, uh, something about this. <laughs> well, I'm running two things. One, I, as one person who wants a holodeck before she dies, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I I understand that whole thing. But I'm looking at it also to through our Catholic faith and heritage and human beings are tactile which is why our symbols are so important, which is why when we use our symbols, we use them abundantly or should use them abundantly because the more we feel the water or the oil or, you know, the hand laying on of hands, that's important to humans. So yeah, this wonderful virtual world can work, I think, for a folks like me moving from autumn to winter in our lives who may not be able to go to Disney anymore, but still remember what it was like and can live in the virtual world, you know, if we can afford it, because I'm sure they're going to make you pay for it some way, but still probably right. not as much as you would if you go to Disney now. I hear it's real expensive. Very expensive. Yeah. It's almost like you're going to take out a second mortgage to go to Disney. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it could help people. It could help disabled people who've never had the chance to see it and to sort of experience it in a more virtual world rather than watching it on a TV screen. Um, So it has its advantages, but it also, but again, humans are tactile. Look, look at what we're going through now with COVID. You know, when, when a kid comes up to me or somebody puts out their hand to shake mine and I have to kind of go, I'm, you know, kind of bow my head and say uh, hello. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I want to hug people. I want to touch people, you know, and shake their hand and, and wish them well. And 
it's it's inbred in us so i i jump but yes. i like the play the play acting stuff look i was an actress at one point so i i yeah. know what it's like to live in an imaginary world you always know even i mean even in a holodeck situation if if that were to ever yeah. be yeah way in the back you kind of know it's not real but you play with it anyway because we like to right. play as humans it's mm-hmm. part of how we process things too kids process things at through play adults forget how to play because they don't think yes. it's something an adult should do and adults can play but play no, responsibly I think adults should play play responsibly. No, play responsibly yes yes i think we should not leave that no behind. but we do as adults and i think yes. this might be virtually might be a way to get adults you know older adults to play again it's you right. know in a positive way and to be clear i think i think we're all agreeing that while the real uh, experience is better. VR is not bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like if I can't go to sub-Saharan Africa, I can watch a documentary on TV. Mm-hmm. That's good. There's not. That's not bad. It's just it's it's the lesser of of the experiences, of course. But ninety nine point nine nine percent of people won't be able to go. Mm-hmm. And so there is this idea that you know there is the the best. And then there's the good. And so the the best is if you can go, go to a thing. But if you can't go, experience it as best you can. And so like beyond the Disney World resort sort of thing, the questions, things like natural places, like national parks, you know, <clears throat> I love to be able to use the uh, Google, uh, I'm not Google, the uh, Oculus to, you know, do the wander and uh, walk through places like historical places or the natural world sort of places, but I, you know, I want to go walk in the woods right. for real. Um, but also, so like again, from a Catholic perspective, it's one thing to go virtually to Lourdes, but but that's not a real pilgrimage, right. you know, or Fatima or the Holy Land. There is something that is it's a, a pilgrimage is a is a spiritual experience that's not just a trip and a mm-hmm. and a, and a vacation. But there's a real prayer experience in going to a place and you can't you can't you know, you can't do that virtually. You can't literally go on a pilgrimage virtually. That's also equivalent to why, you know, Zoom masses are like, I mean, especially during COVID there is some people that's that's the only thing that they can do. But it's there's still something lacking, you know, and, and and ideally, you know, once things are, they're able to come back to mass, they, they come back to mass and people don't stay in the, well, I'm comfortable sitting Mm -hmm. on my couch, just watching mass on TV that, that can never replace the actual encounter that you have. There's a dynamic in that room. Mm -hmm. There's just a spiritual dynamic in that room and you really need to be in the room where it happens. I always say that. (laughs) Well, and and that goes for all the sacraments too. I mean, you can't do a a zoom confession. No, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) the church has already put in place that the sacraments have to be physical in person, you know, and there's no, there's no way around that. And, and again, I think that that speaks just back to how God created us and wanted us to relate. Right. You know, uh, I want to kind of circle around to the to the book, ebook versus real book thing mm-hmm. you mentioned, Father, which is um, I I love my Kindle books. I, I, I like the ease of reading. And I, but I, I feel I, I think in a world with ebooks, it makes ha- I have fewer real books, but those real books, paper books are are the important ones. You know, I I'm less likely to buy pulpy 
you know, fiction, science, you know, science fiction books I'm going to read once and never read again. I'm not going to buy those, you know, on a paper version and have to find some place to store it. But yeah. I'll tell you, I've got and you guys could probably maybe see it over my shoulder. <laughs> I've got the red book of Westmarch version of the Lord of the Rings on my, de- on my shelf, you know, in the, in the red leather slip cover. It is a, an amazing, beautiful book and I treasure it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, I think it, and, and one of the things you, we see is in a, in an age of um, streaming music, records have come back to the, to a younger generation. They love to have the, they like the physicality of the record on the turntable and the the sound, the analog sound of the pops and hisses and stuff that that when I was eighteen and CDs came out, I was like, "Wow, you don't have to hear the pops and hisses anymore." Yeah, I don't miss that. <laughs> it's, it is kind of funny, but this is something real that, that it shows that there's something real in us that wants the real, wants something that's tangible in a world where things are more and more intangible. I would also point out that there's a danger in living purely in a virtual world that is very isolationist. Yeah. And, and I think that that can be a very real danger, um, you know, because again, we're made to be in relationship with one another. And even if you're interacting virtually, it's really not the same, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just look at yeah. Facebook and Twitter. I mean, you know, the, the virtual interactions and of course it would be maybe better in, in a virtual world. Uh, but, but still there, there's a, there's a temptation to isolate. And I think that that's just so dangerous on every human level and spiritual level. And I know I've said this before. The one thing about VR for me is the fact that I get motion sick, but the more I hear you all talk about being able to take walks through a park or something, if I could click into that sort of experience maybe it wouldn't be too bad i i hope so because right. i would like to experience it other than feeling like i'm going to get green in the face well i get motion sick in certain vr experiences myself like a virtual roller coaster. like Ooh. i can i don't really ride roller coasters much now <laughs> in my middle age but i haven't done one in a while but i used to love it uh, and it didn't bother me but like a, a VR roller coaster, my inner ear is not keeping up with what my eyes are seeing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or flight simulators, which really is disappointing because I love flight simulators and I would love to be in an immersive one. But uh, but other VR experiences I are fine to me. So it's it, it's an interesting and maybe people have different experiences. But um, yeah, it's there's something about. One thing I want to like example I want to bring up and kind of go back to the Disney World example is Disney has this new Galactic Star Cruiser experience. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is it's part of their Star Wars thing. It's a hotel resort, but it's uh, it's immersive. So it's a sort of real virtual reality Mm -hmm. role playing thing. You take on a role and you're on a ship, quote unquote, and you're in the virtual world. But it is so expensive. It's like $5,000 for two Ooh. people for, for three yeah. nights, yeah. For, th- for two nights or something. And it is so inaccessible. And it, what's interesting is, is as they've revealed it and they're getting closer to launch, there's been a lot of backlash against it from fans who kind of say it's not re- it, 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 it's an interesting idea. But what you've shown us doesn't work. It feels w- weird. In, and not fake because of course we know it's not real but just doesn't work and it's interesting to see this sort of backlash against this and i'm I'm curious is it a backlash because it's a step too far too soon but it also shows that you know there are some of these things that 
they are inaccessible to most people. And I think part, maybe the part of the backlash is it's $5,000. It should be perfect, but it's also something that most of us fans, you're showing to us fans that we can never have. Um, something I've always lived by is sometimes uh, too much of a good thing is sometimes just too much. Yeah. And yep. it, couple that with the price of it mm-hmm. that makes yeah. it inaccessible to what, 75% of the people who want to go <laughs> or more. Right. Yeah. So no, I, I think you, 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 sometimes you go a step too far. And that might be right. a step too far because they do things really well there. Yeah. I think I think it's elitist, and I and I, I suspect that that's the the biggest kind of pushback against it because five thousand dollars for two people, you can't you can't take your kids, you can't you know make it a, a family experience. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whereas okay, going to going to Galaxy's Edge at Disney World is not cheap, but it's still affordable to a family if you plan well. You know, and there's lots yeah. of families that go and you know and. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> we can't yeah, afford it. Just keep shaking your yeah. head at it. You know, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's another part of this too. I was, I was talking to my wife Melanie about this the other night, and she's she's sort of unique in that she uh, she doesn't she doesn't enjoy um the she doesn't get the uh, the appeal of something like a Disney World or is certainly a Galaxy's Edge where you're pretending. But, you know, and so like in Galaxy's Edge, one of the things is like people are like the the employees, the cast members are playing roles and she doesn't get the enjoyment of that role playing. Like, I know they're not really a stormtrooper. So that why this is weird that they're re- reacted to me as if they're a stormtrooper. And I, like she, it, it, she doesn't it's just not something it's like she understands what they're why they're doing it, but she doesn't understand the appeal of it. And. Similarly, she's not interested in in a VR headset or, you know, role playing games or video games in which you are a, a, a character in the game as opposed to like casual, like, you know, a Tetris or something. Um, and there's I'm sure she's not alone in that. I think there's a lot of people who for whom playing at these these things and, and being in immersive worlds is not at all interesting to them. I think that's that's probably more widespread of a. And and I wonder if young people growing up where this is foisted on them, a, a metaverse is sort of foisted on them, will, will react against that, kind of rebel against that and be more like Melanie in, in the future and reject the the sort of uh, intense, you will like virtual re- experiences in the metaverse sort of uh, push that we're, we're coming in. There'll be more, no, no, I only want real experiences. I, I'm kind of curious if that is a, will be the human reaction. I think it depends on how a child or a person is formed in imagination when they're young. You yeah. Know, and I come from a totally, I'm, I'm, what am I, 10 years older than you, Dom, I think. Probably, yeah. yeah. And yeah. We ain't even going to worry about father. He's way. <laughs> <laughs> but when I was a child, mm. that's how we played together. You know, as much yeah. as people think it's inappropriate now, you know, cowboys and Indians, cops and robbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. that you played with your Barbie doll and you, you know, gave it, you had a million of them and you role played. That's what you did as a child. Mm. I don't know how much of that's going on right now. So it might play itself out in this type of a thing with this generation and these generations, or it may not, or may not be politically correct enough to to assume roles to play see that that's right. what I'm, I'm, i mean you're looking at a place like this that's saying you know we want you to come and role play 
or in a VR, you know, know, VR metaverse versus a society that's like, no, everybody is unique and we have to celebrate everybody's, you know, uniqueness. And it's like, how will these two live in harmony? Right. You know, or will people jump to this place to escape? Well, so there's a couple of interesting things. So identity is is much more fluid and malleable today. Mm-hmm. That's clear. And I think part of that is the fact that we are we are often living through avatars, younger people especially, mm-hmm. living through avatars of various kinds online and, and uh, masks that we've created for ourselves. So I think there's that. Also, I think a lot of young people, they're, they play a lot of video games. And when you grow up playing video games as, a, as opposed to growing up play acting with your friends, running around outdoors and that sort of thing. Um, I, I, so I'm a, I'm a Cub Scout leader and I see the difference between the boys who are their primary interaction with, with other, with play is through video games and others like my kids. And I don't, I don't say this to, to kind of extol myself, but we just don't, we didn't afford, can't afford a PlayStation. So they don't get that. Uh, but they play in imaginary games. I mean, they play iPad games and stuff like that, but they play a lot of imaginary games with each other out of their own imagination. And it's interesting. The kids, I, I, I feel like the kids who play a lot of video games, they do feel more comfortable in, in these virtual roles, but I don't think they identify as much with it. I don't know. It's an interesting, that's something I have to think about. I, I, I can't, I can't say definitively one way or the other. And it makes me like a bad pundit, I suppose, but um, it's an interesting question. I'm, I'm curious what other people uh, might think, especially parents, um, what they see in their own kids, whether the they think that their kids are more, um, more or less comfortable in a virtual identity, sort of situation. So, I, I'm not even sure how to <laughs> how to jump in on this topic, uh, as I've just yeah. been kind of thinking about my own experience because I sort of grew up, um, kind of on the verge of both. Like when I was a a, a younger kid, we didn't have uh, video games until I was, uh, maybe I don't know either late elementary or junior high. So, I mean, yep. I, I remember, I mean, we would get the, <laughs> we had laser tag and we would do, I mean, we would be outside on the ranch, you know, playing around and, and doing all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then I also um, had the video games as well. And I guess I just think even of my experience of going to, to galaxy's edge and in, in Disney world, I, I don't take on a persona or I don't take on a role. I actually mm-hmm. find it more interesting to like, ask the cast members about their backstory because if you ask the cast members about their backstory they will tell you their their fake backstory but they have they've developed their own like where they came from and what their what their trade is and so i've actually found it more interesting to go as sort of a sort of a tourist if you will um mm-hmm. but from earth from and you know from wyoming <laughs> right yeah so yeah, I, I guess I'm not sure. I've never really felt comfortable kind of taking on a different persona. And maybe maybe for me, that's because like <laughs> I I know myself and I don't want to like take on this other persona who might have a different, you know, morality or different, you mm-hmm. know, like I some people really yeah. like to in. Well, especially like RPG video games to like play the bad guy and, and do all the all the <laughs> all the all the evil things. And some of them, you know, the story changes if you do that. And I've always, even if I play those games, I cannot do the bad thing. Like even, even though I know <laughs> yeah. it's fake, I just can't do it. And right. uh, you know, 
and so I, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question, especially for, for kids today. And I, I, I'm not even sure, you know, where they would fall on that, that spectrum. So I, I've never been to Galaxy's Edge, although I hope to someday. But uh, a few months ago, I went to Plymouth Plantation in Plymouth, Massachusetts, which is where uh, the, you know, the site of the pilgrims and Thanksgiving and all that sort of thing. And we happen to be in Plymouth and they do something similar there. They have a recreation of the original Plymouth Village and they have employees, uh, interpreters who play the parts of various people of the real people of that time. And so when you talk to them, they are. I'm trying to think of the names. I forget, I forget the names, but like the this specific housewife who lived there and her you know, the husband of so and so and all those people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's say yeah. Uh, and you know, I remember like talking to some of them, and again, Melanie was like, "I just want to ask her like straight up 21st century questions about the era, like about the clothing <laughs> and the stuff." And it's like you can't really, right? <laughs> but I had fun like interacting with this woman about you know uh, the garden and the stuff like this, and. When I step back and think, like, this is really the woman playing a, playing a role. Uh, I mean, in my mind, at, at, at the forefront of my mind, that I was like, I kind of got into it and treated her like she was the person she was playing. But when I step back and go, she's really not that person. And it's kind of like awkward a little, but it's still kind of fun. And I, I mean, I guess I still enjoy the play. I don't know what I don't know if what I'm trying to if I'm if I have a point about that. But it's it's interesting that this goes beyond the technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, of VR and modern, you know, 21st century resorts. This is something that's been a thing for a while in just different circumstances, I it's guess. It's interesting how folks can suspend that type of thinking when they're watching a yeah. screen. But when they're in yeah. front of an actor or an actress doing this, it, yeah. it blows their mind. It's the same thing. It's just that's true. more in it. You're inside mm-hmm. of it. And I love going to like Plymouth Plantation or Sturbridge Village and listening to these folks. Because number one, in order to do this type of a thing, you have to amass a lot of knowledge as oh, to yeah. what, you, what area you're in, what, what you're They're doing. Really you have to have such yeah. a backstory that you can't break it. And I'm amazed at how actors and actresses can do that. But they're conveying something to us that we, you know, that's, that's not in a history book. They're trying to bring history alive. Yeah, yeah. So it, it but uh, but it's just funny to watch people. You can watch this stuff on on the screens, but if you're in the middle of it, your mind blows. Which is why going to a live theater, the going back to our real life experiences versus virtual experiences, mm-hmm. live theater is very different from watching something yep. on a screen. Yep. Going to see Hamilton in person mm-hmm. was very different from watching Hamilton on, you know, Disney Plus uh because they were real people in front of us. And there's still that they're real as opposed to that screen thing. Yeah. yeah, and you're the director. You're looking at the different cuts. You're not looking yeah. at what somebody else wants you to look at. You're yeah. making the That's decisions. True, right? I also want to point out, too, when it comes to, like, um, the, I guess, the live-action role-playing, um, which if you've yep. seen Hawkeye recently, you know, what, you know yes. who LARPers are. Um, yes, it's awesome. <laughs> uh, but but it, it, it goes beyond even just, say, the, the geek pop culture. I mean, so like you were talking about uh, your, your experience, uh, Dom, but also like there's mm-hmm. I mean, I had a friend who was involved with reenacting historical battles from the Civil War, you know, yep. and so I, I think that there's something interesting there, too, because, uh, you know, there, there's actually I mean, we all have our, our hobbies and our, our interests. But when you get together like that, actually, it's I think it's really good because there's a shared 
um, there's a shared interest, there's a shared hobby, but there's also a, a shared relationship. You know, again, that's mm. that's not a virtual world that they're just entering, but um, you know, they're they're live action role playing, but there's there's this camaraderie and community that that builds up around those sorts of things. And we see that, you know, from from, you know, historical battles to Star Wars to, you know, mm. whatever the the case may be. And and again, I there's something about the reality of it, even if it's role playing and fake, you know, that I think is just never going to go away. Well, this is a fascinating topic. I want to, you know, encourage listeners to let us know what you think. We definitely are going to be dealing with this sort of thing for years to come in our society. And it's something we need to think about. Like I said, businesses will be thinking about this. Individuals need to think about this. Um, We're still figuring out how to do this. I do want to add too, and I, even the tech companies are are debating whether this is the future. So you've got you've yep. got Meta, who's pushing the metaverse, but then you've mm-hmm. you've also got companies like Niantic, who um, famously it's the the creators behind Pokemon Go. They're pushing yeah. an AR related universe. So yeah. so not a Augmented. not a complete virtual yeah. thing, but like probably. And there's all the rumors about even Apple coming out with AR glasses and stuff. So there, even the tech companies are like some are pushing the the virtual world and some are pushing the augmented reality world. And to be honest, I'm on the AR world train instead of the virtual yeah. world train. Same here. Same here. Although even even there, it's interesting. Speaking of Apple and their AR glasses, I saw someone, some pundit was saying uh, by 2030, the, the iPhone will be no more and everything will be AR and you'll, you'll wear your phone screen on your face. And the, it will be superimposed over the world around you. And I said, that is a horrific yes. idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want the, like, I imagine like the minority report, wherever I go, uh, ads personalized to me are superimposed over everything. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think this is a case of, I want a real experience mm-hmm. more often than even an augmented reality experience. Yeah. Um, and I want the ability to turn that off and just get away from that. And, and I still want my watch to be my phone. So I can drop one more device off, you yeah. know, and <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like the idea. I, I, I like the idea of AR and I, but I want it to be an accessory to my device that I, yeah, I want it to be an my pocket. augmented thing that I can choose to put on or take off whenever I want. Yeah. 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 I, it, we're, we're in this transition in our society and I think it's going to be something we're going to have to figure out but it's it's i think it's one of the major transitions this technology uh it's i think it's probably one of the biggest transitions since the computer that we're, we're going to figure this out all right let's uh move on before we do i want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology including anita h kathleen h jacques o thomas m and daniel m their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give Make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology in all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. All right, let's move on to our headlines of the week. So this one is interesting. Um, it's not, I, I wouldn't usually just, you know, talk about recall, auto recalls, but there's a bigger topic here that I want to kind of mention, which is uh, Chevy has had a, a, their new Bolt uh, electric vehicle. And they've had this huge recall. It's gotten to the point where uh, they've had to recall every single Chevy Bolt that has been sold since 2017 because the batteries have this bad habit of exploding. And that's bad. And 
the, the articles that uh, I'll, I'll link to, there was a um, slash dot uh, uh, entry, you know, post that linked to several different articles. And they all kind of come together to to kind of present this uh, this question of, are we trying too hard to push to electric vehicles before the technology is ready and is unproven? Like, because electric vehicles are depending on us improving battery technology such that cars can go more than you know a, a, a couple dozen miles you know we've, we're up to maybe a couple hundred miles at this point on a charge and charging takes you know half an hour 45 minutes an hour whatever it is now um we're not yet at the convenience and uh utility of internal combustion engines but yet some of these companies have talked about oh yeah we're not gonna like stop we're gonna stop making um uh, internal combustion engine automobiles by the year 2040 or 2030 i think was one of the companies which was seemed to uh really precipitous so what do you think are we pushing too hard to switch over before it's ready and potentially putting you know more dangerous technology on the roads what do you what do y'all think yes In a word, <laughs> yes. Now, backstory on this. My husband is a car guy. I mean, the man watches YouTube videos on cars and, you know, has changed cars in over 40 years. I think we've had about 20 cars, his own, not including mine. <laughs> so he proclaims a couple of weeks ago, I think my next car is going to be an electric car. And I'm sitting there going, have you thought this through? before you make them. I mean, they, and he's like, I don't want a Tesla. And I, I'm like, well, good thing. Um, but he, you know, now he's starting to jump on the bandwagon because of the gas situation. Gas is expensive. This would be cheaper. We'd all, I said, yeah, we'd have to put a station in our house and our garage, which is small enough to begin with, you know, and then, so I think there's been a lot of hype because of the saving the planet and all of that to jump into something a little too fast. I mean, if these cars are actually, the batteries are actually blowing and causing fires, this is something to be concerned about. Yes. Are your standard car can do the same thing, but it's been, you know, we've had cars now in this configuration for, I'll say 80 or 90 years. I know cars are over hundred years. I know cars are older than that, but the cars that we kind of have now in this kind of format, about 90 years or a hundred and we've got it down pat. What I'd like to see them do is still make them more fuel efficient and of course more carbon efficient but i think they've abandoned that idea totally now for the electric car and i don't think a lot of us are going to be moving to electric cars right away i know i i I drive a subaru i'm on my seventh subaru subaru only has a hybrid in one model right two models right now so you know i'm still looking at being a gas guzzler i guess but i think we are kind of running into it a little fast what do you father? I would I would sort of just echo <laughs> what Joanne said. I mean, it's I think it's silly to to jump on the bandwagon of something that is dangerous and we haven't fully tested and we don't fully quite know yeah, how to how to build these things without them potentially, you know, <laughs> exploding right. and, and starting on fire. And the the key to this is that these these are not exploding in fire because of accidents like because mm-hmm. they're damaged and the accident well that can happen too mm. and that can happen to a an a, a, a gasoline oh, yeah. uh engine this is ca- happening because 
of a manufacturing defect where which is endemic to a to electric battery technology, which is they've discharged too far and uh, recharging and it causes an overheating condition and a runaway overheating condition, that sort of thing. <clears throat> and then it causes a fire. And that's really what it is, is because we're there. The technology just isn't there. And there's this mindset oftentimes in technology where what we want to do is possible if only we spend enough time doing it just because we want it to happen. It will because that's worked before. You know, we've always made, you know, computer CPUs faster mm. because we've always been able to do it. And we've all, you know, we've always been able to make this happen. And so we've got this mindset, I think, in technology where we think just because we want a thing to eventually happen, we imagine mm -hmm. that it can happen. Right. Well, we will eventually make it happen. And at some point, that's not going to happen. Well, and the thing is, too, is we'd be moving from gasoline to electric. We're moving also in how we how we store this energy because number one right now the only way you can get gas is to go to a gas station okay they're saying with electric cars you can put these stations in your house so the potential explosion possibilities right now of a, of a regular gas car the gas station it's there's more of a chance of things going wrong there now you're going to put one of these things in your house and you're going to plug your car in at night you could mm -hmm, wake up right. in the middle of the night with your car on fire who knows? I mean, I sound a little yeah. bit like Chicken Little, but I just yeah. <laughs> don't think they've thought this totally through yet. And if Congress gets right. involved, it's going to get worse. There, yeah. <laughs> there's a good just basic principle there of all technology is you never as a consumer, you never really want to be the first to jump onto the bandwagon of any new technology because there's always going to be bugs. There's always going to be issues. You know, and so you always kind of want the the experts to kind of, you know, hammer out all the all the bugs before, you know, just the average person tries to pick it up. Otherwise, you're going to run into all sorts of problems. And it's funny because my husband looks at me with this whole issue and says, you're not on this bandwagon and you're big into technology. <laughs> I said, Kevin, this has a lot more to do with 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 motion and motors and said, than it does with just my computer. You know, it's, it's a different thing. As someone into technology, I, that's why I'm a little because I understand technology and the limitations. But the other thing is, is with electric vehicles in, in general, there, there, there's a wholesale change in how our society works that's underway because of this. And, and we talked about that in the first segment in, about something different. But you know, our society is built around the idea that I can hop in a car, go to a gas station, fill up in two minutes, drive somewhere pretty far away. You know, we we've built our society around this ability. But when we have electric vehicles that can't go as far, it takes longer to charge them. Where is all this electricity coming from? Like, sure, we're drilling oil to to put in our cars. But where is the electricity coming from when you have brownouts in mm -hmm. California in the summer and all this? And we're not building nuclear power plants, which I'm a nuclear power proponent. And I think they're, they can be safe and they can be effective. And I think they would be partial solution to this but where's all the electricity coming from it's not coming from solar panels and in wind mm -hmm. farms you know this is and only five percent of the cars are electric now how about when when we want 80 percent of them on the road to be electric again where's all the electricity coming from these are things that are we're, we're pushing this from a political i think political point of view to satisfy a political uh, uh block a voting block without considering the wider implications. And yeah, I know we oil eventually will run out. That's a fact. Okay, sure. But I don't think we're considering the whole 
issue. And we're, I think we're rushing headlong into this without considering the entirety of the, of the situation, including some of these technological problems. Mm. So, all right. So uh, that's, that's that question. And uh, let's move on to our next headline, which is kind of interesting little bit of tech. It's the headline is this USB kill cord can instantly wipe your laptop if snatched or stolen. And uh, okay, <laughs> you know, the clickbait headline aside, what it is, is it's a someone has developed a security of a hardware physical security for people whose laptops contain sensitive information. And what they can do is this cable. It's a USB cable. You can set it so that if it's unplugged without having a uh, security you know, the, the whatever the security feature is turned off, it will instantly lock down your computer. Okay. Lock it is the basic setting. Now you can also configure it to wipe the drive if you if you want. If and I suppose if you are someone who has, you know, vital information, and they talk about journalists or people in law enforcement, or I suppose if you're James Bond or that sort of thing, <laughs> sure. But uh it's it's an interesting idea, and I just thought it was fascinating that this sort of thing has become available. Uh, it's a hacker cable. I think someone's selling it, like on you know, online, like an Etsy or something like that. Uh, or it's crowdsource. I, mean, mm. I don't know where the crowdsourcing is from. Um, there's a website called CrowdSupply.com. So for sixty bucks, you can buy this cable. It works on Mac OS, Windows, and Linux. The uh, the kill the drive bit only works on Linux, but uh, which, thankfully. Uh, which actually is sort of a Linux thing, isn't it? Uh, I don't have any of our Linux people. I can say that. Uh, (laughs) But in any case, um, I think it's kind of fascinating that this sort of stuff has become mainstream that that is available to the public. Uh, Any thoughts on that? My husband would buy one (laughs) because he's a tax preparer. So right. it's important to him that his all of those people's social security numbers and vital information do not get into the hands of anybody. So I, if I mentioned this to him, he'd probably go, "Ooh, <laughs> so yeah. right." I don't. I don't think it appeals to just kind of your average Joe out there. I, I, as I read the article, all I could think about was like Mission Impossible and like you know the, <laughs> yeah, super vital top secret government information that just can't get in the wrong hands. But you know, like if someone were to to snatch my computer, they'd get a bunch of pictures and you know and and <laughs> Star Wars games and whatnot. But you know, uh, nothing nothing that crucial that I need to wipe the drive for. No, no, nobody'd want my Roman missile on there. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I got personal financial information no. on there, but nothing like where. Oh no, they have. They know what my what's in my what well, I spent in my checkbook. You know, right? I, it doesn't that that doesn't bug me. I mean, it would be. I wouldn't. I don't want that to happen. But it's not, you know, end of the world. But I I, I suppose there are like especially if you're a doctor's office and you have HIPAA compliant things. Yep. You're a lawyer. Yep. You're a journalist. Uh, I had a f- friend, a, a guy I worked with who used to work at the White House in IT. And he talked about the steps they would take when they would go, like, say, on a presidential trip to China. Um, everyone would get a new laptop and a phone to take with them. <clears throat> They'd be, they would hand in their personal devices at the foot of Air Force One. And then when they'd come back, they would take the devices back that they had taken to China and destroy them and give them back their own wow. devices. Yeah. Like, they took some serious wow. steps. <laughs> Because the assumption was this, it it has been compromised. Yeah. Like they just assumed. Um, so there are people. I mean, that's that's of course at the the White House level. But there are people out there working defense and you know in various industries. We have industrial spying 
who this could be interesting to. So, um, you know, if you walk away from a from your computer at a, at a coffee shop, if someone grabs your device, it locks and can't be unlocked. Yeah, and that's kind of cool. It might be something that businesses like that kind of look into to getting for their employees versus um, just you know us buying one for ourselves. Unless you're unless you're Joanne's husband. Paranoid. <laughs> yeah, you're, I, I do like the name Buzzkill, though. <laughs> yeah, Buzzkill is good. That's good. Uh, and then our last headline uh, is kind of interesting. It talks about, um, it's, well, the headline is retailers surrender to unprecedented costs on online returns. And it basically says that given the, the both the supply chain issues and the worker shortages, more and more retailers, especially e-commerce retailers, are telling people, don't bother returning the thing that you want to return. Uh, we'll just credit you for it, or we'll send you a, a replacement if what you want is a if you have something defective, <clears throat> and uh, which is interesting. Like, and Amazon has kind of done this for a while. I've had to return things to Amazon where they've said, um, "Yeah, don't don't worry about it. We'll send you a new one, or we'll just credit you for it." But it's getting more common, and they're now the the key is, is to keep people honest. They are tracking people who do this and if you do a little too much if you if you fit a pattern they're gonna guess that you're scamming the system but uh what do y'all think have you had experiences with returning things lately that have been interesting at all i just returned something from my my cousin and it took four weeks after i brought it to kohl's to bring it back to amazon to get my credit oh right i thought that was like like, how long did it take them to send it back? But, yeah, it took about four weeks. I just got it yesterday. That's the only thing I've had, yeah. a, problem, I had a problem with. Everything seems to, to you know, go back and forth rather quickly. How about you, Father? And I, I haven't had to return anything, um, you know. And, and I guess my, my concern here is just with the waste that happens because of something like this. I know, I know Amazon is trying to, to minimize their cost to process returns, but what are you going to do with a defective unit? And, you know, unless you're, you're conscious about, you know, putting it to the right use or, you know, recycling it. I mean, I, I think a there's, I think stuff. even just in yeah. general with, with Amazon and everything online, there's, there's perhaps a lot more of just that kind of waste that happens uh, rather yeah, than yeah. not. I'm thinking like the wrong size shoes or the wrong size shirt. You know, what do you do with that? Yeah, are people going to know to let's give it to somebody you know who right. needs something like this? Right. How, ma how many just throw it away? Yeah, there, there, we did a headline a while ago where um, it was an investigation in the UK of like these warehouses of stuff that that Amazon was just throwing, like return stuff that Amazon was just throwing in the in the garbage um, that was perfectly good stuff, but just mm -hmm. was returned and it was less expensive to just throw it away than to pro reprocess it. I had a uh, return experience recently uh, where I returned something to Amazon, but at Whole Foods, this Whole Foods is now owned by uh, Amazon. And uh, let me tell you, it was actually a really pleasant experience. I walk in, you know, I, I went to Amazon. They had me print out a QR code. I walked, I went to my local Whole Foods, walked over to the special area that's just for this. Uh, you show, you know, show her the QR code, hand her the package. She scans it and she's like, okay, you'll get a credit uh, on your card within a couple of days. And, uh, sure enough, I got a credit, you know, uh, fairly quickly. So, well, that's what I did. It's at, really that's nice. That's what I did at Kohl's, yeah. but it took four weeks. Could have been the Christmas rush. I don't know, but also it could be that Kohl's, maybe the way that they return things to Amazon is different just because Whole Foods is owned by Amazon. And so oh, maybe there's okay. an internal 
thing versus the external thing with Kohl's. But that's a it's a smart smart move on Kohl's part to, to become a return center for Amazon. Mm. That's very interesting. Uh, all right, so that I guess that'll do it for our headlines. Uh, let's move on to our picks of the week. Joanne, what is your pick this week? Oh, my pick is very timely. <laughs> but I bought this a while ago, so it's one of those things where I wanted to actually see and use it, and I would I had shied away from from it for a while. But it it is the wise Bluetooth smart. Weigh, scale for weighing yourself. Come on. It's January, <laughs> New Year. Everybody's going on the diet. Um, but I've had this one for a bit and I find it, you know, because I have other wise products, I find it very simple to use on a Bluetooth. Um, one thing you do have to know about these scales, this is of the two wise scales, this is the more advanced technology one, number one. And number two, it's glass. Okay, yes. so this is important in order for it to do things like body fat, um, you know, BMI and heart rate and all of that. It needs to be glass and you need to A, make sure you don't have socks on or shoes and B, it has to be on a flat non-rug surface. Okay, in order for it to take the right, because I saw a lot of uh, comment saying this thing doesn't weigh me correctly well if you're putting it on a rug it's not going to right right but it does things like um if you want to weigh your pet for example and a lot of us pet owners do that it knows if if it's been weighing you for a while if you pick up your pet it'll say are do you have something are you holding something do you have a hmm. pet and it will weigh the pet separately oh wow so doesn't say one at a time then no it doesn't say one at a time <laughs> trying to get her paws all on that with just four paws would not work but it's it wise makes a good product relatively cheap as we know from the cameras and this is only 30 34 dollars on amazon but i've had it for three months now it's been pretty accurate versus my my doctors because I've been to a doctor's appointment in between. So, and if you're looking to track yourself so you can see how you're losing, uh, my goal is one pound a week. Yeah. And so far I've been doing it. So oh, good. Uh, I, I, if you're into that kind of thing, it doesn't, as far as I know, it doesn't broadcast it anywhere unless probably you want it to. Yeah. And I wouldn't yeah. want it to. <laughs> so, yep. but I find it as a very simple, you know, I had to replace my other one. And but it doesn't live in my closet anymore because my husband has a tendency of throwing all kinds of things in the bottom of the bathroom <laughs> closet. And this yeah, is like yeah. you really have to be careful with it because it's glass. We've actually talked about several different smart scales on the show before. And I think, Father Andrew, you had one that you picked yep. a while ago. Yep. Um, and uh, you still got it? I still, still got still it. Good? it. It still yeah. works pretty well. It connects to Wi-Fi. Um, I think Run Kobo was the the brand yeah. that I that I have. And it does the same sort of thing like yours, Joanne. It's mm. it. Kind of tries to measure the BMI and and everything there too. Yeah, that that's that's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I have the Withings scale, and uh, that that has worked out well. One of the nice things, uh, I don't know if the the Wise does this, but the Withings scale can have multiple people. Yes, like so, I have it multiple does. people in the household, and as long as you don't weigh close to each other, yep. <laughs> it can distinguish. So, like, I'm I weigh much more than my wife does, and uh, that would that and so it knows me versus her when we when I weigh. Um, although <clears throat> some days, I don't know, I'm, I, that's a whole other thing. I have to talk to somebody <laughs> who knows physiology better, but some days my, my weight varies like by seven yes. pounds. Yeah. Um, 
and like today it was like who was on this thing <laughs> um, uh it's me i i it, you've, you're you're saying it's seven pounds less than it was yesterday i don't know why it, but, it's uh, it's a water thing yeah. and we women know it very well and oh, we okay. also know that men lose weight faster than women so if, yes, a man, if a man and a do. woman both go on a diet at the same time, you know the man's going to lose 10 pounds, a woman's going to lose two. Yes. It eating just, the same just food. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just accept it. Don't get mad. Uh. <laughs> awesome. That's a good pick. And then, like you said, inexpensive. It's not, it's not at all expensive, so that's a good pick. All right, Father Andrew, what is your pick this week? So first of all, I feel slightly hypocritical talking about this pick uh, because I talked about the <laughs> the goodness of physical media. Um, <laughs> so my pick though is basically the, um, magazine version of, of the Kindle store. Uh, so there's a, there's a website out there called pocketmags.com and you can buy, um, digital magazine subscriptions or single issues from, um, many of just kind of the major magazines, um, that are, that are available out there. National Geographic, um, Doctor Who, Star Trek, uh, Star Wars Insider. And um, the Star mm. Wars one is actually what got me into it because I was featured in one of their articles a year ago. And so I was able to get the digital uh, issue and then I just subscribed to the to the magazine. Um, and so it's a you can download the app. You can view it on any smart device. And, um, you know, so it's a it's a convenient way to, to keep up on your favorite magazine without having the physical. Um, of course, you know, some issues I totally still have physical and I will go to the newsstand and buy them physical if if they're that important that I want the physical version of it as well. So it's a yeah, it's a it's kind of a fun, fun way to keep up on magazines. Yeah. Magazines are one of those ephemeral sort of things. It's not like a like a book that you read forever and ever. Like they right. usually tend to be, um, although, you know, I, I, anyone of a certain age remembers the uh, the relative with the garage full of National Geographic's because mm. oh, yeah. <laughs> they were the thing you never threw it away. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's actually pretty cool. I, the, um, I have News Plus, Apple News Plus, mm-hmm. which has a bunch of magazines included, but not all of them. So if I wanted to some of these, like, like the Doctor Who magazine, for example, I probably would have to come it's here and subscribe. It's on sale right now. There's a, They're calling it a mega sale. If you buy like the annual subscription, it's like two bucks an issue or something. So... Just, uh, just oh, saying. Okay. Uh, well, seventy percent off. It's there you go. Oh my! <laughs> so. Now I'm tempted. <laughs> awesome. That's good. Uh, well, so my pick this week is related to um, something that's real, but has to do with Star Wars, as I mentioned before. <laughs> uh, that is the the Star Wars T-shirt club subscription. Now I'm actually wearing. In, in Joanne and Father can see my shirt that I'm wearing. Uh, it's the Grogu's uh, seafood chowder shop <laughs> if you remember from the second season of the mandalorian grogu gets to have some chowder and it is very cute and so every month the way it works is for 20 bucks a month every month they send you a new shirt and it's their choice so you if you don't like the design you're stuck with it which is you know it's sort of a uh you know crapshoot but so far i've been on it for several months and i'm not going to do it forever because i don't need that many shirts but I, I I was kind of in a situation where a lot of my old shirts were falling apart and I needed a few more and said, well, I, who doesn't need more Star Wars shirts? <laughs> right. So you tell it, you know, men, women, youth, the size. And then every month you, they send you another another shirt for and they charge you the 20 bucks. Um, and it's a little expensive, I suppose, but the quality is pretty good. And <clears throat> I've had a Boba Fett shirt. I've had uh I had a fun one the in I think it was around Life Day in November, uh, which is the Chewbacca the the Wookiee Life Day it was holiday it was a Chewbacca's family 
And it was like in that 80s portrait <laughs> style where like they have Chewbacca's head is really big. And then they have like the Chewbacca's wife's kind of smaller and staring off into the distance. And like, it, it, yeah, it was very funny. I had someone comment and say, uh, is why do you have a shirt with a bunch of dogs on it? <laughs> I'm like, what? It's they're Wookiees. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's fun. Uh, and if you're if you're into tech, you're probably into sci-fi and Star Wars. And so I thought that would be a fun little different thing to pick this week. Excellent. Uh, let us then wrap things up now, because uh, uh, that is all we have. And I want to thank everyone for listening. And I want to solicit your response and your feedback on our discussion. You can let us know what you think about anything we've talked about by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to technology at sqpn.com, and you can find links from our discussions and our picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. Be sure to follow The Secrets of Technology in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. And until next time, Joanne Mercier, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Dom. Father Andrew Kinstetter, thank you as well. Absolutely. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of technology on StarQuest. Quest.